Good morning. You're awake. Awesome. How's everyone today? Everyone doing okay? Yeah? Good to see you. Uh, happy Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, my name is Jordan, and I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. And we're so glad that you've joined us today for our gathering um, on this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, before we get into the life lesson this morning, just have a few things I want to make mention of. Um, on your seats when you came in, you would have seen welcome home cards. And um, if, if, you're, if this is your first time visiting with us, I just want to encourage you to fill one of these. Hello? Oh, there I am. <laughs> and bring it to the Welcome Center. And uh, we, we have a gift for you. We just like to get to know you and uh, just want to welcome you to our community. And so just a couple of announcements before I begin. Uh, this past week, you probably recognized, if you are on our email list, that you got a Thanksgiving uh, request from Pastor Jerry's, which was a subject in the email. And um, as you may remember, back in March and April, we mentioned to you that we were experiencing a significant decrease in our general giving uh, year to date. And we were unable to determine why. And we have taken cost measures on our end to attempt to deal with the shortfall. But we do know, we don't know your financial situation. And so if you're strapped for funds at the moment, please continue to give as you feel free. But if you are in a comfortable position to give extra this month, any amount would be appreciated. And so we're asking for you to consider giving a Thanksgiving offering throughout the month of October. Um, any amount would be greatly appreciated. If you're able to give 100, 500, or, or more at, 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 on top of your regular given, that'd be greatly appreciated. Um, your regular tithes and offerings help keep the lights on, the worship music playing, the children and youth ministry active and inviting. And I'm asking that you consider giving a generous Thanksgiving offering this week to Soul Sanctuary. And so I'm just leaving that before you. It would help us just kind of catch up with our um, general giving. And um, at Soul Sanctuary, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we, today, right? We have so much to be thankful for. Uh, you're all generous uh, with your giving, your time, treasures, and talents, and it enables us to make a difference not only in our city, but also in the world. And so we just ask that you please consider giving extra this month if you are able. And ways to give here um, are at our joy baskets at the back. We have a giving center where we take debit, credit, and visa um, in the atrium. Uh, we have text to give. You can give online at soulsanctuary.ca. But above all, we thank you in advance for your generosity and your ongoing support to Soul Sanctuary is greatly appreciated. So thank you for that. Um, this Wednesday, I want to tell you about a couple of the programs that are beginning. This Wednesday, October 11th, School of Ministry, Go Out, is happening. Uh, Go Out is a program that teaches a foundation of evangelism, making disciples, and how to baptize and teach them. It's a four-week course, begins at 7, ends at 9 p.m. Uh, Pre-register online at soulsanctuary.ca. Also, just want to throw out to you that the Soul Sisterhood Women Ladies Bible Study is beginning on uh, October 17th, which is a Tuesday at 7.30 p.m., and uh, you can register for that online as well. And so thank you for that today, and thank you for being here. And uh, let's get into the life lesson this morning, not according to plan. Um, we are continuing in our series, a study through the book of Matthew, Jesus Plus. And uh, last week, we had a great celebration in the house. We heard testimonies, and we've seen people being baptized. And Pastor Jordan Michelski did a great job leading us and teaching us through Matthew chapter 10. But today, we're going to look at a different portion of the scripture. But before we do that, let's start by talking a little bit about expectations as we get into this. Now, I've talked about expectations before, because I think our expectations are very important um, to, to how we receive things and how we live um, what are some of the things in our lives that we have naturally come to expect? For example, when you woke up today, you expected that the sun would rise at some point, right? I think we're at that 7.15 a.m. range at this point in life. 
uh, when you turn on the shower this morning, you expected there to be water, correct? And, and hopefully at a preferred temperature. Hopefully it wasn't cold or, you know, you were having all sorts of issues. Uh, when you turned the key in your ignition to your vehicle today, you expected your vehicle to start, right? Um, people who drive Fords, that's a different story, right? No, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. I, I, I was joking with people in the office, which, which car company do I bug? And they're like, everyone bugs Ford, just bug Ford this week, right? But when you drove to the gathering this morning, you expected that other people would follow the rules of the road, didn't you? Four-way stops, signaling before they get into their lanes, yielding at the proper places, and you definitely didn't get angry on your way to church this morning at other drivers, right? You definitely didn't start mincing words towards anyone who cut you off on the way to church, right? I'm just going to trust that we're there today. When you sent in your mobile Starbucks order this morning at Starbucks, you expected to show up there and you expected that your coffee would be ready for you. Not that they'd just be starting to prepare for it when you walked into the restaurant, right? Okay, sorry, that's my own bitterness today, but um, I'll get past that. But we all have expectations. We all have things that we've come to expect that we, 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 we they're just routine. We plan for them. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd be honest and say that our expectations often extend beyond inanimate objects and into our relationships too. We have expectations of ourselves. We set goals. We set standards. We set, you know, things that we want to accomplish in our relationships with people. We have expectations of our spouses, our in-laws, our extended families. We have expectations of our children, etc. We expect our kids to clean their rooms, and we all know how that goes, right? But we have expectations of our friends, of our employers, of our neighbors. We all have expectations. There's no denying this. How important are these expectations to us? How close do we hold these things to our hearts? Do we ever get upset and thrown off and even annoyed when something that you've come to expect doesn't turn out as you expected it to? Is that just me? Can anyone relate with me on this today? You come to expect something, gets thrown off, and you know, you know it, it, it bothers you. It causes all sorts of emotions to come to the fruition. I wonder how many of us would be honest with ourselves today and recognize that our expectations in a lot of ways say a lot about us. And when they're not met, they definitely cause tension. And so with this in mind, let's read our text today in Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 1. It says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went out from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Let me give you some initial thoughts on this portion of scripture that we just read. You see, the one to come, or the term coming one, is a term that designates the coming Messiah whom they'd been anticipating. And so this portion of scripture centers around the idea of, is Jesus the Messiah that they were anticipating? Is he the one that they were expecting? And these verses find us in a place of confusion. You know, throughout these verses, we read that Jesus is dealing with the fact that what he's doing is not necessarily what people were expecting him to do. 
Many, including John the Baptist, are sitting there kind of scratching their heads and they're caught by surprise and they're perhaps thinking to themselves, has Jesus forgotten the script here? Hadn't he remembered what it was I said he'd be doing? Hadn't he remembered what he was supposed to be doing? And so all the chapters leading up to this, you know, they talk about stories of healings and miracles and Jesus sending out his disciples, as we talked about last week, and that the good news is being preached, and there's all sorts of good stuff leading up to this book, this, this chapter in this book, sorry. And something has shifted here in chapter 11. The tone has changed, and Jesus is being posed a question and John the Baptist seems to have had a shift in his attitude towards Jesus here. You see, earlier in the gospel, read, reading through Matthew, we encountered John as a bold, prophetic, wild man, calling people to repentance and announcing the coming axe and the winnowing fork. John the Baptist was, was, was called the voice of one calling in the desert, make, way, make straight the way for the Lord. John the Baptist had even confessed that Jesus' baptism, that Jesus was the one to come when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist believed that Jesus was the one to come, but today our text and what we're reading here offers a very different picture of John the Baptist. And he's sending his disciples and his friends to Jesus to inquire and ask the question, What's happening? What's going on here? Are you the one to come? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? You see, John the Baptist didn't necessarily seem as convinced anymore about Jesus. Where he had formerly convinced Jesus to be the Lamb of God, he now wonders if he's the one. He seems to be wrestling with doubts. He seems to be wrestling with uncertainty. So, so, so what happened? How did John the Baptist get to asking, should we expect someone else? How did he go from being a prophet with all the answers to a prisoner with questions? And how is it that Jesus seems to no longer live up to John the Baptist's expectations? Well, our passage today gives us some clues as to why John is left with questions. First of all, John the Baptist, when you know this portion was recorded, was sitting in prison. He was in prison at this moment. And so this portion of scripture finds him sitting in a prison cell and he's done some bold things and he said some bold words. He had denounced Herod for marrying his brother's ex-wife and had announced that God's kingdom was coming and that the true king was on the way. Essentially saying that Herod was not the real king but that God would replace him. And so it's no wonder that Herod's angry and Herod's upset and that he puts him in prison at this point. Now, I think Matthew wants us to imagine more than just the physical location of prison. Prison is not just representative of some random location here in Matthew. For John the Baptist to be in prison was also a place of suffering for him. John the Baptist was probably feeling a bit abandoned or depressed or forgotten or dejected or discouraged in this moment. Like the psalmist said, John probably wondered how long his enemies would have victory over him. Remember, this was the thinking of the times. You see, John the Baptist had expected the coming Messiah would topple Herod's corrupt regime and kick out the Romans. John the Baptist likely expected his cousin Jesus to seize the throne and to get him out of prison. Surely the axe and winnowing fork and fire would strike any day now, but as he laid wasting away in a prison cell day after day, his hopes for rescue were starting to dwindle. And John the Baptist had expectations of what Jesus would do and 
in this moment, they weren't necessarily coming to pass. And so John, sitting in prison, is no doubt a little bit disappointed. He heard about what Jesus was doing. Word was getting around about all the things that Jesus was doing. It's not like he was ignorant or uninformed as to what Christ was doing. But in his mind, it didn't sound like the show that they had thought they'd rehearsed or planned for. It didn't sound like the script that he had read of what Jesus would be doing when he came to the earth. And Matthew's gospel tells us that John the Baptist heard about the deeds of the Messiah. This tells us that the root of his disappointment here was actually in what Jesus was doing. Jesus was not living up to John the Baptist's expectation of what the Messiah would look like. You know, we knew that John the Baptist was a fierce denouncer of the sins of the people, and we'll look at that in a second here. He imagined that, you know, the Messiah's task was to carry our final judgment, to see to it that the axe was laid to every unfruitful tree. And John the Baptist was confused about what Jesus was doing. He was confused about what was happening. Let's look back at Matthew chapter 3 and get a glimpse of what John the Baptist prophesied about and what he was expecting would come from the one who was to come. It says here, he's talking to the people, he says these words, the axe is already at the fruit of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Those are very, very strong words. You see, John was ready for fire. John was ready for judgment. John was ready for those evildoers to get what was coming to them. He was ready for the restoration of Israel and for oppressive empires to be taken down. This is what he thought was going to happen when Jesus came to the earth. John was expecting Jesus to be a man of fire, an Elijah-like character who would sweep through Israel as Elijah had done when he dealt with the prophets of Baal, the pagan god. No doubt John looked forward eagerly to the day not long now when Jesus would confront Herod himself, topple him from his throne, become king in his place, and get his cousin out of prison and hopefully give him a place of honor. But it seemed to him as though from what he had heard about what Jesus was doing, and we've been talking about that in the last 10 chapters, that Jesus was living according to a different script altogether. You see, Jesus was going around befriending tax collectors and sinners, People whom strict Jews would regard as outcasters. People who didn't follow the law. He was gaining a reputation among the people he spent time with, but not for doing for what John expected or was wanting him to do, but for all the wrong things. You see, in Matthew eleven nineteen, in the same chapter, it says this, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And Jesus was gaining this reputation based on who he spent time with, based on who he was hanging out with, and it wasn't what John was necessarily expecting. You see, in chapter 8, we read about Jesus healing the centurion's servant. A centurion was a commander of the Roman troops, the ones who were occupying Israel at the time. And not only did Jesus heal that centurion's servant, but he commends the man's faith and trust in him. And perhaps John the Baptist was confused as to why would Jesus show mercy to our enemies? 
why would he do something good for those who oppose us? You know, in Matthew 9, we read that people were coming up to Jesus and his disciples and getting upset with them for not regularly fasting. And we read about a tax collector named Matthew that Pastor Jordan talked about last week who was, you know, called to become a disciple of Jesus. You see, tax collectors were regarded as the worst of the worst. They stole from Rome. They were evil people. And yet, strangely, Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him as a disciple. And so Matthew got up and followed him and walked with him. And so John the Baptist likely heard all about these rumors and reports surrounding Jesus. And no doubt he would have been confused by what were known as the deeds of the Messiah. The Jesus he had hoped to bring judgment on sinners was rumored to be a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It was clear that John the Baptist's expectations were not coming to fruition in the way that he imagined. And here's the deeper truth of what John might have been facing while he was sitting in jail. You see, Herod may have put John in a physical jail, but John's own expectations have imprisoned him inwardly. His expectations being dashed have caused him to feel imprisoned on the inside. It's the interior prison of disappointment and disillusion. He's confined by his own unmet expectations. He'd heard about all that the Christ and the Messiah was doing, but where was the toppling of the enemies? Where was this judgment that he prophesied about? And so John sends a message, and he asks, Are you the one who's to come? Or should we wait for another? Or should we wait for someone else? It's as if John's saying, is there someone else, perhaps someone who better fits my expectations of what the Messiah should be like? Was Jesus the one to come? And of course, we sit here on the other side of Matthew chapter 11, having read the whole New Testament, we know, of course, he was the one to come. But Jesus came telling a different script, a different kind of story than maybe John and many, many other people were expecting. And this is why people easily got offended at him. This is why people oftentimes were rubbed the wrong way by Jesus and who he hung out with and what he taught and who he showed mercy to. Jesus, and this brings me to one of the main points of this passage of Scripture, is that Jesus is the one we expect, but he does not come in the way we expect. Jesus is the one that they were expecting and hoping for, but his behavior, his actions, and his message wasn't necessarily what they were expecting to see. But Jesus brought the life and message of a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And its ways and values were very much different than those of the world and different than what we ourselves may even have in mind, per se. And when you think about the whole story and relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist, I think Jesus kind of, you know, in some ways baffled him right from the beginning. Because first Jesus comes to him almost like a sinner, and we know he wasn't. But in John's mind, he would have been thinking, why are you coming to me and asking to be baptized? He'd have been confused by this idea, and he, he even said that to him, no, Lord, never, never will I baptize you. And then Jesus says, you know what, this is proper. We have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. But right off the hop, John would have been a little bit confused as to why Jesus was asking him to baptize him. And then Jesus was in the desert, right? And he was going through the temptations, and he rejected the power that was offered to him by Satan, the sensational, spectacular, speedy ministries. And he chooses to obey his father. And then the people that Jesus called to be his disciples, we, Pastor Jordan spoke of this last week, were far from the most talented people. They were not people of great influence. In fact, some of them were traitors. Some of them were enemies of Israel. 
How can Jesus pick these people to be a part of his crew? He was hanging out with sinners. Um, stuff just wasn't happening according to what many people thought the Messiah should be. It's almost as though John the Baptist was maybe thinking to himself, perhaps I need to show Jesus some behavior modification techniques. If your child steals, you don't go out and buy them ice cream. If your child is misbehaving in school, and I'm just going to throw this out here, I always hated parent-teacher interviews, right? Because I knew, you know, the other side of that wasn't going to be necessarily fun for me, unfortunately. But if your child's misbehaving in school, you don't usually reward them with a shopping spree immediately after. Oftentimes there's consequences. Oftentimes there's punishment. Oftentimes you get grounded. And here in the book of Matthew, all throughout so far, we have disobedient people. And Jesus, you are healing them? You're eating with them? You're offering forgiveness to them? Frederick Dale Bruner says it like this. He says, in a word, Jesus is out in the sticks healing sick, insignificant little individuals here and there, but not doing much to change the basic structural problems in Israel's life. This is how people would have seen it. What is more, John is in prison, and Herod, the embodiment of the oppressive establishment, is still on the throne, as it is in fact about to have John's head. What kind of Messiah is this? It would have been a fair question from their perspective why John is asking Jesus these questions. And so John sent his disciples, and, and he just wants to know, are you the one? Are you the one we're supposed to expect? Let me ask you a question today. You don't have to answer it out loud, but you can answer it in your heart. Have you ever wrestled with doubt before? Have you ever felt let down somewhere on your journey of faith? I know the good Christian answer is to say never. Never. My faith is strong, right? All is good. But have you ever felt let down before in your journey with Christ? What happens when you begin to ask questions? What happens when you begin to deconstruct some of these things? You see, this portion shows us a few things, and it shows us three things that, you know, really can cause us to ask questions, three things that can cause a person to doubt. Number one is difficult situations. Oftentimes when difficult situations come in life, we ask the question, why, why, why? Unmet expectations can cause us to doubt, and that's what we're seeing happening in this portion. I thought this was the way it was supposed to be. I thought things were supposed to happen like that. And then limited perception or limited understanding, not seeing the full picture as we see, can cause us to doubt. And these were all things that John was presently experiencing in these verses. But perhaps if we are honest with ourselves this morning, we will recognize that these are also all things that perhaps we've experienced as well. Ever experienced a difficult situation? Ever had an unmet expectation? Ever really felt like your understanding was limited? And so what's Jesus' answer? What's his response to John the Baptist's question that he poses him? This is what we read. Jesus replied to him, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. The Greek translation of that last verse is a little bit more raw. It says, blessed is anyone who is not scandalized by me. 
And Jesus is giving some kind words here. And Jesus doesn't start shaming John the Baptist by saying, and blesses the person who never has questions, or blessed is the person who never doubts if I am who I say I am. But Jesus is simply saying, blessed are those who accept him and can accept his kingdom and what he's about and what he's doing. Who are not offended, who are not leaving, who are not turning their backs and going their own way because Jesus is doing something that perhaps they might not necessarily agree with, something they might not necessarily want, or something they might not necessarily think is important. You see, scripture is full of teachings where people were upset with Jesus' teachings. You know, you have to look at the parable of the prodigal son, and remember the elder brother was just upset at the grace that was shown to his, you know, the prodigal, his, his younger brother. And he, he couldn't understand how his younger brother could receive grace because all these years I've worked and slaved and slaved for you and you've never done this for me. And, you know, people often got offended at some of Jesus' teachings and yet Jesus' message isn't just available to the prodigal, but it's available to all of us, every one of us. And Jesus responds by saying, go back and report what you hear and see. And he lays out a list of what he's done. Anyone ever made a resume before? Anyone? I remember in one of my college courses, they encouraged us and gave us some tips on how to make a resume. And I remember finding that kind of a frustrating and uh, interesting experience. You know, in its simplest understanding, a resume is about presenting yourself to the world with who you are and what you have to offer. And so sometimes when doing this, you realize when you're, when you're starting to write this thing, you kind of realize I don't have too much to offer on a resume, right? And so you try to make the whole thing sound smart and sophisticated. And, you know, make everything you do sound more meaningful. Add a little punch to what it is that you do and what you can offer to, to future employers. And here's an example of something you might maybe write on your resume. When talking of what you did as like a leader of an organization, you might write something like this. I directed and developed initiatives to enhance organizational health, right? Sounds good, doesn't it? Or what about this? I implemented strategies for enhancing organizational communication, huh? Which really, in street language and in reality, if we're honest with ourselves, really means I'm the guy who brought the coffee and the snacks, right? You know, I'm the guy who brought the coffee and the snacks so that people could talk at the meeting and so people could talk after the meeting in comfort. But you don't write something like that, right? You never write, yeah, I was the guy who brought the coffee and the snacks, right? You, you, you spice it up. You make it sound good. You want people to, you know, you want your resume to be attractive to others. You can't put stuff like that on your resume because nobody cares about the fact that you bring coffee and donuts, you know? And nobody would hire you, but you make it sound desirable. You try to sell yourself. You know, I've heard it said from a teacher when I was studying this this past week that when Jesus is answering the question that is sent by John, what he is actually doing in a sense is he's almost laying out his resume of who he is and what he does and what he's all about, what he's accomplished, what he's been about since him and John last met in the waters of baptism. What is it that Jesus has been up to? And Jesus' resume says this. It says, the blind are receiving sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are being cured. The deaf are able to, be, to hear. The dead are being raised. And the good news of the kingdom is being preached to the poor. A beautiful resume, I would say. And yet it had many people in his time shaking their heads and thinking, what about overthrowing Rome? 
What about freeing us from an empire? What about judgment on wrongdoers? What about all this stuff? And N.T. Wright says it like this in his commentary on this chapter. He says, just as wicked people don't like the message of judgment because they think rightly that it's aimed at them, so sometimes good people don't like the message of mercy because they think wrongly that people are going to get away with wickedness. And there's this tendency within all of us to want to love those who we agree with and who are like us and who think like us and to, you know, maybe not love those so much who are on the other side. But mercy was at the heart of Jesus' messianic mission, amen? Just as it needs to be and remain at the heart of the, of the church's work today. Whether or not this is the script that we naturally want to follow, it is a way of living that we need to go down. And those who can embrace mercy and get past the fact that maybe you were expecting something else, these are the people that will know God's blessing. And so what happens when the Jesus you see isn't the Jesus that perhaps you'd hope for? A few weeks back, I gave a life lesson from the book of Jonah. And one of the things that hit me when I was preparing for that lesson was throughout the week, tensions had been high all over the world. And there was so much fighting and there was, you know, just a war of words happening, right? I, I really should have just not looked at CNN. You know, it would have been better for my spiritual and personal health, right? But all this stuff was happening and sometimes you get tempted to take sides. And you know what? It is okay to have opinions on these things. But I was hit with the fact while I was studying that week that the same Jesus who loves me is the same Jesus who loves them. And you can fill in the blank of who them is for you today. Them might be anyone who you feel isn't deserving of grace, anyone who isn't deserving of acceptance, anyone who isn't deserving to sit at Jesus' table. And that gets very deep, doesn't it, when you think about it? Because it exposes our hearts, it exposes our thoughts. And it can cause tension and frustration because at the end of the day, the heart of the kingdom is truly the offer of mercy, the offer of forgiveness, and the call to follow Jesus. And that is open to all. Imagine what it would have felt like for the early church when Saul became Paul. A guy who just persecuted Christians, put them to death, all of a sudden embraced by Jesus and leading and following him. You see, John the Baptist saw the Messiah's job as bringing his axe laid to every root of every unfruitful tree to judge. And in a sense, Jesus still does this, but not in the way that John had expected. What John the Baptist didn't expect is that Jesus' judgment was also full of mercy and grace, that it was a redemptive form. Jesus didn't just rain down fire on all sinful people like an Elijah figure may have. No, Jesus became the friend of sinners, a doctor to the sick. He desired mercy and not sacrifice. This is not necessarily what John the Baptist expected, but blessed are you if you are not scandalized by Jesus and his ways. That's what he would say to us. Music. It's no secret to anyone here that I'm a music fan, right? I love music. And I was thinking about this yesterday, even walking through um, some of the record stores, right? For a long time, the, the music industry got into this fight with digital music when it came on the scene. And they, they really pushed back against it. And they didn't want to necessarily embrace digital music because CDs had been the way we'd done it, right? It was eight tracks, it was tapes, and now CDs were the thing. Oh, sorry, I forgot vinyl, but, you know, anyways, making a comeback a bit, but... 
But CDs were the way we, we, we sell and distribute music. And that's, you know, they, they were stubborn about it. That's how they wanted music to be packaged, and they sold it that way, and they kept going that way. And it wasn't until, like, the last 10 years or so where they really began to embrace digital music because they recognized that they were missing out on a lot of sales. And we could all see, even by the recent closure of HMV, that CDs, you know, had their moment at one point. And it was good. They had their time. But a new thing was before us, and digital music is easily the most profitable way that music is sold today. It's what's taken over. But it's frustrating sometimes when you have something that's worked, when you have something that you thought was good, to all of a sudden embrace a whole new way of doing things can be difficult. It could be frustrating. It could not be what we expect, per se. And so I'm not trying to compare MP3s and CDs to the kingdom this morning or anything, okay? But what I am saying is that Jesus was paying John the Baptist a very great compliment about his faithfulness and his obedience and his ministry in all he's done in chapter 11, if you read further. And Jesus challenges those who were, who, who were listening to John the Baptist. What did you think he was, a fashion symbol or a weak person? And he says this about him. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And I felt like I had to address this verse. You see, Jesus isn't saying anything bad about John the Baptist, even though it seems John may be waffling or struggling with some doubt here. Jesus still affirms his work, but Jesus is also saying that the time for that sort of work has come to an end. And the point of this passage in Jesus' ministry is that Jesus is offering a new way of understanding God in his timetable. A new way in which God's going to relate to his people as father. Personal. In a few simple words, he's telling his hearers in Israel's long history, from Abraham and Moses through the prophets to the present moment, that it was one long preparation, one long getting ready time, but now the preparation was over and the new reality had dawned in Jesus. And Jesus goes on to you know, say great things about John the Baptist, that he was the one who prepared the way for him. But his words were shocking to the people when he says this. He says, even the most insignificant person who is accepting God's kingdom and living by it, in other words, who was hearing Jesus and following him, was greater simply because they were living in the time of fulfillment. And what a blessed time that is for them. What a blessed time that is for us today. And telling the crowds about John and his ministry, Jesus is telling the crowds that he was the one to be expected, that he is the fulfillment, that he is the divine in the flesh. The arrival of the kingdom ushers in an incomparably greater era than any preceding it. And so here's some questions. Are you okay with Jesus interrupting your plans? Does that bug you? Are we okay with Jesus maybe thinking differently than we do? Are we okay with the idea that perhaps we do have limited understanding and mystery shouldn't surprise us sometimes? Because at the end of the day, Jesus has our best interests in mind. Jesus loves us without exception, and Jesus calls us to love others, even those who will be tough to love. But in light of the scriptures we looked at this morning, Soul Sanctuary, I say this to you. That Jesus' failure to live up to others' expectations is not unique to John the Baptist only. We're all just as vulnerable of feeling this way. Trying to make Jesus fit into our box of what we think he ought to do or ought to be. We're all capable of trying to confine God's work to our own narrow expectations. And the clash between our expectations and Jesus' 
life and teaching could be very real. I'll give you a few examples here. We might expect that God might make our lives comfortable, but Jesus tells us to take up a cross and follow him. We might expect God to eliminate our challenges that we're facing, and instead we've discovered God who stands and walks with us even in the midst of them. We might expect God to make us number one, but Jesus then looks at us and tells us that the first shall be last, and vice versa. We may want God's power to help us avoid weakness or avoid becoming vulnerable with one another, but then God tells us that his power is made perfect in weakness. We might hope that God may destroy our enemies, but Jesus commands us to love and to pray for them. This is what Jesus does. Jesus despises, defies normal expectations. His ways are not our ways. And until our expectations and desires become the expectations of Jesus, we may find ourselves asking the question, are you the one who is to come, or should we maybe expect someone else? And this morning, church, we will find blessing as we allow our expectations to be formed by Jesus. Amen. And so follow him. Allow him to love you. Allow him to lead and guide your life. And this brings us to Thanksgiving. You would have noticed that the worship set was um, shorter at the beginning. But I want to talk about Thanksgiving for a couple of minutes. But first, have you ever been in a place where you expected God to be something, and then perhaps, you know, through the word or through study, you recognize that perhaps you misunderstood him? Maybe for you, it's been your life in a personal situation where you expected God to act or intervene or respond in a certain way, and the script has not been going according to plan, and maybe that's caused some, some tension for you. Maybe perhaps you recognize that you've put limits on how big and wide God's grace is and that it's extended to all. And perhaps you've thought grace is extended to the deserving when really it's always been about the unworthy. And that includes us. See, at the end of the day, as we see in this passage, even those closest to Jesus have their moments of doubt. So if you've experienced that, you do not need to feel ashamed. Even those closest to Jesus had their moments of question, had their moments of frustration, had their moments of surprise, because Jesus can't fit in the boxes we create for him, but we must accept him, and we need him as he is. And Jesus is the one who echoes these words to us at the end of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of us today, and you don't have to raise your hand, but just acknowledge in your heart, how many of us need the rest of Christ this morning? How many of us need to bring something to him today? How many of us need his presence and need him in our lives? And we're just going through a situation where maybe things haven't turned out as we expected. What we find in Matthew 11 is that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. And for that alone, we can be people of thanksgiving today. And so with this in mind, on Thanksgiving long weekend, we're going to conclude our gathering today by going to the communion table. Eucharist. The word Eucharist literally means giving thanks. And when we go to the communion table, we give thanks for all it is that God has done in our lives, for his presence, his healing, his strength, and especially for what he did in and through the cross and resurrection. You see, Jesus sat at all the wrong tables with all the wrong people. Food, drinks, drunks, prostitutes, and hospitality. It is to this very table that he invites us to come and sit. 
It's an all-you-can-seat affair, if you will, with no reservations required. Spots are limited only by the number of guests that choose on their own to attend. Jesus doesn't force his will on us, but he waits for us to choose him. And so today, we're going to go to the table, and the table is a place of unending first starts. Maybe you need a first start today. The table is a place where doubts may be present and questions don't carry any penalty. The table is a place where the divide between the sacred and the secular dissolves and is no more. The table is a place where our deepest wounds are healed. And to this end, Jesus commissions his followers to be people who celebrate, to recreate his table in our homes and in our churches and in our communities alike. And to sit with those whom Jesus sat with. And so I'm just going to ask everyone to stand. And in a moment, I'm going to get us to go to the tables and grab a piece of bread and a cup and come back to your seats. There are tables at the front. There are tables in the back corners of the room. If you're in the front seven rows, please use the tables to the front. If you're in the back seven rows, use the tables at, your, at, at the back of the room. And I want you to go and just grab a piece of bread and grab a cup and, and just come back to your seat. And as you do that, I want you to reflect upon all that there is in your life right now that you need to bring to Christ. Maybe you need rest. Maybe you're going through a time of unmet expectation. Maybe your understanding is limited and you need to ask for wisdom. Maybe things are difficult. Maybe you just need to reflect upon all you have to be thankful for. Wherever we're at, I want us to do some time of reflecting here. And so the band's going to begin to play. And as they play, go and get the bread, go and get the cup, and come back to your seat. And once we're all back, we'll take communion together this morning. And let's celebrate with Thanksgiving today all that there is to celebrate because of Jesus. So please make your way to the tables, even now, as the band plays. And so as we reflect on all that we have to be thankful for, Eucharist means give thanks. May we be thankful this morning for the love of Jesus that we see on the cross, for his body and blood that wash away our sins. Thankful that his ways are not our ways, and that they're so much greater than ours. Let me read from the scriptures today in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of his body that was broken for us. Let's eat the bread this morning. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes with hearts of gratitude this morning. Let's drink the cup. I'll ask you to stand. The band is going to lead us in one more song, and this will be a song of response for us. And so I want each person just to respond to God in your own way on this Thanksgiving weekend. And if you'd like prayer this morning, I just want to invite you to make your way to one of the crosses as we sing. Um, we didn't do time for prayer purposely at the beginning, but we'll do that now. And so if you'd like prayer this morning, please make your way uh, to one of the crosses, and we would just love to pray for you. Um, but let's continue to worship God. Let's sing. Let's worship. Let's respond to him in our own hearts. And um, after this song, I'll conclude with a blessing. And thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. Your mercy and grace is available to each one of us, and we thank you for it today. 
And I just pray, Lord, that your blessing would remain upon each one of us as we go into the week. Allow us to leave today with hearts of gratitude and hearts that are just appreciative and full of all that you've done in our lives. And for those who are experiencing tough and difficult situations, I pray that your hand would be upon them and that they would see your presence, Lord God, and your peace and comfort in their lives even in this time. And so, Lord, we just ask this all in Jesus' name. In the ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands. And so if you want to receive a blessing today, I ask you to do likewise. Just please extend your hands. And here it is. Let the majesty of the Father be the light by which you walk. Let the compassion of the Son be the love by which you walk. Let the presence of the Spirit be the power by which you walk. Regardless if you feel full of faith or are asking questions this morning. May you rest in knowing that God is with you, he loves you, and that he is for you. And may we leave today with hearts of gratitude. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving to each one of you. Have a great day um, as you visit with others, and uh, we'll see you next week. God bless.